You know and I know that advertisers have leaned on celebrities and musicians to help sell their products as far back as we can remember. I sure like your Pontiac Grand Prix, Mr. Sinatra. It's a car to you, baby. You've got good taste. And hip-hop is no different. Rappers were featured in ads during the late 80s and the early 90s, but it was mainly for the most mainstream crossover artists. And it was a practice that was sometimes seen as selling out by the culture at large. Now that's the way the hammer runs for the border, because the border's in order. Yo, 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 please, Every rapping cat I know drinks but all of that changed as the 90s neared its midway point when one company created a campaign spearheaded by a marketing genius and propped up by some of the most significant artists of the genre's entire history. They stepped up to the plate and took hip-hop advertising to a whole other level. I'm Sean Kantrowitz, and on this episode of Gold Rush, we're gonna take a close look at a pivotal moment in hip-hop history through the lens of Sprite's Obey Your Thirst campaign. Do you find yourself rapping the chorus to Rump Shaker every time someone invites you to a Zoom? Do you feel defeated when your spouse insists you take off your Timberlands and Kangol hat before dinner? Do you find that the only Lord you think about at Sunday church service is Lord Finesse? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you might be suffering from CHDS, Classic Hip Hop Deficiency Syndrome. Don't let CHDS take over your life. Instead, do what 12 out of 10 doctors recommend. Subscribe to Fresh Era. Here it comes! Here it comes. Hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts now and hear about Chub Rock's run-in with Big Daddy Kane. So Big Daddy Kane comes up to me and he's like, you're not the Chub Rock cat, are you? I was like, yeah. Learn about Young MC's quick rise to success. My mom went to work and one of her co-workers said, your son is famous, why are you still working? You're going to learn so much about 90s hip-hop, you'll feel like you're right back in your oversized fat farm. Sipping on a Crystal Pepsi. Don't believe me? Listen to some satisfied customers. Before Fresh Era came into my life, the only outlet I had for 90s hip-hop was naming my cat Grand Pooba and my pet hamster Diamond D. Thanks for giving me purpose, Fresh Era. After college, I fell into a deep adulthood coma, a career, a husband, and two healthy children. F***ing boring. After one listen to Fresh Era, I instantly went on eBay and spent all my savings on my favorite LL Cool J posters. Now I sleep alone. Thanks. Fly. Don't let classic hip-hop deficiency syndrome have the last word. Subscribe to Fresh Era today and reclaim that classic hip-hop life worth living. Now let's be clear. Hip-hop artists had been featured in Sprite commercials prior to 1994. In fact, the I Like the Sprite New campaign in the 80s featured several beloved names like Curtis Blow. This is Curtis Blow with the latest trends. You got to know what's out and what's in. Talking about the taste the one that's right. Heavy D and the boys. I am Heavy D and I'm very particular. That was my try, but Sprite is pink. Remember, I am Heavy D and the boys are my crew. And we like Sprite in you. And Kid and Play. I'm Kid and I kid you not. I like the Sprite. I like the Sprite a lot. My name is Sprite, but I'm not playing. I like the Sprite. You know what I'm saying? All respect due to Sprite and the aforementioned legendary artists. But to be honest, by the time the 90s were in full swing, these spots seemed a bit for lack of a better word, corny. 
They didn't necessarily reflect where the culture was at that point. And it sort of felt more like the hip-hop artists of that time were crossing over as guests in the House of Sprite. Perhaps even more substantially, the I Like the Sprite in You campaign had gotten a little, uh, flat by that point. Hey, Sean, we just got a note from management, and we really can't do more than one soda pun in this episode. <sighs> wow. Way to, uh, burst my bubble here. Anyway, how did all this come about? I wanted to go straight to the source, so I spoke with Daryl Cobbett, who was vice president of the Sprite brand business unit and senior manager for the company during the Obey Your Thirst era. Going back to the early 90s, before the Obey Your Thirst campaign for Sprite was launched, the brand had been down for nearly a decade. So the reason why the opportunity came to even begin to go into Obey Your Thirst, which was deeply rooted in hip hop culture and basketball culture, was because the business was doing poorly, Sean. If the business were doing well, I don't know that we ever get that shot. And what a shot it was. The Obey Your Thirst campaign utilized hip hop artists in advertisements for the soft drink but the terms and conditions could not be any further from what had come before. Gone were the bright colors and rappers dancing on green screens. Instead, they went in one of the most organic directions hip-hop had to offer, the freestyle. Now meet the Carmel King of the Castle, keeping his tight, CL smooth, sipping on Spritite. It's the Mechadon never swerving untitled. Uh, Knowing commercial rap needs to woo, be recycled. Uh, yeah. Collecting cans for Nick's picks, my latest LP. Now obey my thirst, some precise. Got the knack to rock, I'm steady heating up the spot. The chocolate boy wanted to make and heads bop. Plus I... <laughs> no scripts, no contrived concepts. The Obey Your Thirst campaign kicked off with actual ciphers in the recording studio. Featuring Pete Rock and CL Smooth. When they reminisce over you, my God. A tribe called Quest. On point tip, all the time fight. Large Professor. And brand newbian MC Graham Pooba. Step to the rear, Graham Pooba's on arrival. Raised in the ghetto, singing songs called Survival. I spoke with Pooba, who shared with me his memories of participating in the Obey Your Thirst campaign. And then I just got a call saying that, you know, Sprite was interested in doing a commercial. You know, then they gave it to me in details, like, it's something that you're not going to write. You're just going to go in and record live and say whatever comes to to mind pertaining to Sprite. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and that was basically it. Like, Had you ever done uh, any sort of commercial campaign similar to that in the past? Because I know this is, like, still relatively early in your career. Had, was this sort of, at the time, did this seem like, a particularly big look for you? I think that was the first major look. That was the first big look as far as advertising and doing commercials. That was the first and probably still the biggest <laughs> to this day, you know? Hey, I think it's time for a commercial break and then we'll get back to some more Gold Rush. Yo, what's the deal? You got the black sheep, D-R-E-S, yes. And I want y'all to know right here, right now, stupid-fly.com is the place to be. Yo, you got hats, you got t-shirts, and all kind of flyness that you can get your hands on. Not only that, you can check out some of the flyest podcasts you've ever heard in your life. And that would be Stupid Fly Media on Instagram and Facebook. Why? Because they stupid fly. All right. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It was a situation that sounded almost too good to be true. Some of the culture's greatest artists brought in to literally do whatever came to their mind, untouched by any commercial restrictions or diluting of their art form. Call me cynical, but if you're anything like me, your next question is... How the hell did a corporation like Sprite and its parent company, Coca-Cola, go for something like this without meddling in the creative process? There's no better person to ask than, again, Daryl Cobbin. Our selection process of artists, particularly those that were not well known by the mainstream, was highly strategic. And was there any pushback, Sean? The answer is no, because nobody inside of Coke knew who the fuck they were. At the core of Sprite, Beneath obey your thirst were these three words, Sean, trust your instincts. I remember writing them down. That was the base of what we were attempting to bring forward. The reason why we were attempting to bring that forward is we were also saying, if there are attributes that are ascribed to our brand, one of them is the word cool. That was thought of as the taste of Sprite cool. If we explode that imagistically, What did cool look like in 1994? We thought for Sprite, cool looked like people who could could trust their instincts and obey their thirst. And we thought the culture that most purely manifested this notion of trusting their instincts and obeying their thirst was hip hop. Once you make that decision, you can't go get MC Hammershaw. So our selection strategy was to get the MC's MC the producer's producer, those that in hip hop at that time still burgeoning, those that others look toward as as like, we want to listen to him. That's how we got Grand Poobah. That's how we got Extra P or Large Professor. That's why we got Pete Rock and CL Smooth because we wanted to give people a view into this is how this culture actually works. Beyond selecting the artist, we had to put them in the context that was also indicative of trusting one's instincts or obeying one's thirst. They were in the studio freestyling. No one had peered into a studio anywhere, not not just in commercials. No one had shown what it's like in a cipher, if you will, in a studio to the viewing public. You hadn't seen it. And then the other thing, this is Reginald Jolly, who was the creative genius uh, behind the campaign, we used Impeach the President by the Honey Drippers as the, as the track underneath. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the Honey Drippers in the house tonight. Is the beat that has probably been used more than any other in terms of sampling. So all of these elements together, the selection strategy of the artist, the selection strategy of a studio as content, the selection strategy of the music, all of these nuances caused us to be able to have the kind of connection that we made, fortunately, with people around the world. 
Atlanta-based filmmaker Keith Ward, also known as Future, was in the director's chair for these spots and recalls how the crew opted to film in a way that was as unobtrusive as possible. The idea was to really just kind of, you know, just, just stack our cameras. You know, we, we, we knew the surveillance was a great concept, but we didn't want to do surveillance so much. So, you know, we just, we just put the cameras in a couple of places that just seemed out of the way. And you just kind of are just, you know, just watching this thing happen. Looking back on it now, you know, you can, you, you don't even think about it because, you know, we've been exposed to so many kinds of, you know, things that have, uh, you know, cameras in all kinds of locations, you know, filming things. But back then it was really rare. And so my idea was to, we shot, we shot with, uh, we shot 16 millimeter and we shot with a super eight, um, camera. And, you know, we just kind of just, we chose one side of the room and then we flipped and moved to the other side of the room. You know, Puba just came in there and just ripped as soon as he walked in the room. I mean, it wasn't like he had to prep or anything. He just came in and just started rhyming. And you couldn't stop him unless you wanted to stop himself. I give a pound to my man with my right hand because yes. I, I keep the sprite in the left hand. Okay. And then I push the button when I don't want to hand nothing. I let Queen. it go when I want to hand something. Yeah. This is how we flow when we in the studio. Freestyle with Sprite, yo, how the rest go. First things first, a big yo thirst. Sprite, all right? It was maybe a couple of hours just, okay, do another one. And and to be honest with you, when when it was done, I didn't, nobody knew what the commercial was going to look like because we, I, we said so much stuff. We were freestyling, making up things. Like I said a bunch of different things. I didn't know what piece they were going to use or what I said, you know? So it's like, I didn't know like the, the final cut, how they pieced it together. That was, I was pretty impressed, like. There's been a little bit written about this campaign before, and there is like folklore slash rumor that you came up with the Obey Your Thirst, that that was something that like sort of was birthed from that freestyle, and then that's what they did with the campaign. Is, is that the case or not? Because I don't, it, it seems like the stuff of legends here. Hey, I, you know, I, I didn't get any extra for that, but um, yeah, I think that, I, you know, first things first, Obey Your Thirst. I don't, I, they didn't tell us to say that, so <laughs> I don't know if that 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 was already there, or I just made that up during that time. I right? but I think I just first things first, bring your thirst sprite. I yeah, I think I might have just said that, like you know. That's folklore. Now, mad love and respect to Puba. He has done so much for the Sprite brand. You don't get a tag team in a Geico commercial today. Unless you have Puba in a Sprite commercial uh, back in '96, you don't you don't get that. So I got to respect respect Puba, but he did not uh, freestyle that line and give it to us. However, we did not say to him that had to be in the uh, in the spot. We did not say to any artist ever, "You got to rap about this." What we told them, Sean, is do your thing. In other words, obey your thirst, trust your instincts. And we trusted we were going to get magic out of it. All right. Now, where did the line come from? Low Lentos and Partners. That was the agency that, uh, that, that came up with it. And specifically a dude named Lee Garfinkel, white dude. He came up with Obey Your Thirst. The freestyle commercials were an instant smash. And it wouldn't be long before Sprite began expanding the Obey Your Thirst campaign with other ad spots in the mid-90s that employed a variety of formats with other hip-hop luminaries, 
including Nas and AZ. The Lost Boys. In one commercial, it nodded towards one of hip-hop's most legendary battles, the Bridge Wars. And now it's time for some hip-hop history. The rap beef between the South Bronx's Boogie Down Productions and Queensbridge's Juice Crew initially popped off when the latter group's MC Shan and producer Marley Marl released their song The Bridge in 1985. Many mistakenly interpreted that song as claiming that Queensbridge was where hip-hop had been originated. KRS-One and Boogie Down Productions fired back the following year with their aptly titled song, South Bronx. South Bronx, the South South Bronx, South Bronx. Thus kicked off a series of records in which members from the respective crews and boroughs came at each other's necks on wax. Though Shan and KRS eventually settled the dispute, a decade later, the two would revisit their rivalry as part of the Obey Your Thirst campaign. In an advertisement, they recreated the bridge wars, albeit in a boxing ring. I mean, hey, it's a visual medium. Gotta make some adjustments, right? Future sat in the director's chair for this spot and was eager to help immortalize a crucial moment in hip-hop history. Couldn't have gotten a quicker yes out of me um, because once I heard what they wanted to do, I was like, that's legendary. You know, the, the, you know, the KRS-One, MC Shan battle, probably one of the, the, the biggest battle rap feuds ever. And you guys are going to do part two? I'm in. <laughs> First thing I did was um, I, I, you know, just grabbed Raging Bull and just started watching the, the fight scenes over and over again. I love Martin Scorsese and I love the movie, so I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do something that when we're done, no one's going to try and replicate, try to redo. And so that was what we set out to do. And um, so I, I, I watched, <laughs> watched Raging Bull, Raging Bull, you know, several times, and then just really. So I look at blocking, you know, I had in my mind things that I wanted to do. I was going to use a crane, steady cam. I was going to use all these things, but I wanted to make somehow this battle feel logistically, you know, authentic um, in the setting. That setting was an armory in Brooklyn, an environment that would give the crew plenty of space to work in. And while the New York winter was cold outside... It was even colder inside of the empty vessel, which required them to set up heat fans to keep the cast, crew, and extras somewhat comfortable. You know, we couldn't really afford to have a ton of people in this in this space, and certainly not a ton of people who were fans of either one of them, because it would have just been a mess. You're trying to control, you know, the energy, and it's all for film anyway. So we had our dedicated like 20 or 30 people, extras, Anytime we were shooting, we just move them around. You know, if we're shooting over in, you know, Chris's corner, we just stack people behind that and vice versa. You know, it's interesting because we asked Chris and Shan and their teams, you know, uh, Mr. Magic came, um, Red Alert came, and so they were in each other's corners. And uh, initially, I wanted them to kind of dress like cornermen. Unfortunately, they didn't see that. So they didn't dress like that. It came straight up like how they were. I will take my hat off to Kid Capri, though, because I said, you know, I want you to be the referee. So you got to wear the bow tie and this, that, and the other. You know, you're going to be our, our is it Michael Buffer. You're going to be our guy. You're going to be our Michael Buffer. And he literally came dressed to work. He came there, and I was so delighted. 
and he's the hero of the day. So he had the bow tie, the white shirt, the black pants, and he, you know, got in there. And he, while he didn't say, you know, let's get ready to rumble, he did, you know, he had his own thing. All right, fellas, no below the belt. And it was perfect. He was perfect. He, he probably never refereed in his life, but he looked like one, and he did a great job. And it, it, it lended to the authenticity, what we were trying to shoot for. I chose to use a, a microphone, the microphone that's usually um, held by the announcer at the start, to use that to have them go back and forth with. So if you watch the commercial, you'll see um, Shan grabs the mic and he slings it over to Chris and Chris grabs it and then he does his thing. And, um, and, so, and you know, so these little nuances, those, those little things were, were what I thought could be really cool and add to, you know, the whole hype of the whole concept. Let's take a listen to the commercial now. Between the Bridge Wars commercial and the freestyle spots, no one could dispute that something special was being created. But it may have been hard to totally understand just how significant these commercials were at the time. But once they began getting airtime, it soon became evident that Sprite's Obey Your Thirst campaign was hitting in a major way. Like when I first seen it, I, of course I was happy, and I was happy I had it edited and everything. I, I, I liked the commercial. But then at, um, during the NBA playoffs, it would come on every five seconds, like sort of like how that Snoop Dogg commercial with Corona was coming on. That's how the Sprite commercial was coming on. Like every commercial, it would come on. And, you know, everybody's watching the playoffs, so, you know, it, it, was, it, it, made, it really went viral. And um, everybody knew the words to that commercial, and that was kind of unusual, like, in the middle of my show, we'd take a break, and my DJ Stud Doogie would throw on a piece the president, and then I'll just say, "I give a pound to my man yeah. with my right hand." I keep the right in my left hand. I hit the button when I don't want to hear nothing. I let it go when I want to hear something. That's right, baby. Let it go when we in the studio. Freestyle, we're spiked. Yeah, how the rest go? First things first. They knew that commercial. Like, that commercial was kind of one of the biggest Sprite commercials, I think. And people come up to, hey, Sprite, man, you know, it got, you know, I go eat. Yo, God, I just buy more Sprite now. You know, like, it was a good, it was a good vibe. Definitely a good vibe. They re-released that three years later and another campaign for the Billboard Awards in 98. That commercial was that strong where they had, we had this, so nice they had to do it twice, like, you know what I mean? There was no looking back. The idea that brands could align themselves with hip-hop artists and give the culture a platform to share its voice, and truthfully, that voice would become more and more intertwined with the overall collective narrative, it really all took off with Sprite. And the company didn't stop there. Over the years, they've become synonymous with the hip-hop aesthetic creating commercial ads with the likes of most deaths. Your style is so play, but Duke is okay. I don't drink from you, because my first is obey. Missy Elliott. It's Kobe and Tim, both games of time. Grab a points like they grab a Sprite. Common. You can tell by how I display my verse, I obey my thirst. Stick with the rhyme, Sprite, you can say it's my nurse. Drake. Last name ever, first name greatest. Get like your spark back. Sprite. Lil Yachty. Call like a spice order. Call like a spice order. 
and many, many more. It's unbelievable uh, the impact that what we collectively did at, at, uh, with Sprite, our agencies, Lolintos, uh, Burrell Communications Group, so many people, many different executives. It's amazing to see the impact that that had. Now, looking back, when I see a Kroger ad talking about low prices and they, and they put on get low, 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 that kind of thing. When I see DJ uh, Khaled, uh, Khaled rather, in a Geico commercial doing a joke, being a, uh, a, a motivational coach, I smile. Uh, when I see flow uh, from progressive rapping, I smile when I see these things, Sean, because looking back, I'm able to connect the dots to where that came from. We were laying and creating a blueprint that other brands follow to this day. Final point. Someone said to me a long time ago, there are folks that follow maps and there are people that create territories. We created the territory for how brands commercially connect in with a culture and help it. And in return, that culture helps the brand. So the next time you see the hottest rapper of the moment, or a familiar face from hip hop's past on your screen throwing a product in your face, just remember where the foundation was laid. The creative risk taken by Sprite, the engagement by artists like Ram Pooba, and the care and insight from people like Daryl Cobbin and Future really set the stage for the marriage between hip hop and advertising as a whole. I'm Sean Kantrowitz, and I'll see you on the next episode of Gold Rush. Go, 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 it's the Gold Rush. Gold Rush is a Stupid Fly production, written, directed, and produced by me, Sean Kantrowitz. Created and co-produced by DJ Cheapshot. Music by The Math Club. Follow us on social at Stupid Fly Media, and go pick up some merch at stupid-fly.com. Hey!